Hello. Today we are joined by Bart Salikens, who is a PhD student at the Department of Public and Occupational Health at UMC Amsterdam, Netherlands. He is passionate about exploring the intricate relationship between occupational physical activity and human health. His research project is centered around understanding the profound effects it has on individuals and work environments. We are also joined by our producer Neha Rao, and I am your host Aditi Bhatt. Bhatt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure. And I hope to see you all in September in India. We're really excited to have you here, by the way. Um, and from what I hear from everyone that I've talked to so far, you're coming in with a big group. So we have big things planned. Just yeah, just, yeah, just we sports, are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what sparked your interest in understanding or researching the physical activity paradox in occupational health? Yeah, um, let's cut it in half and maybe first start where my interest in the uh, occupational health started. Mm, yes. Um, because I think um, when I started in, in college, my main interest was on, on physical activity and exercise and mm. sports. And later this developed into more uh, public health and lifestyle related mm. Um, things and research and practice and, and interventions and uh, what what I noticed in, in college is that your work is such a big part of your life I think right. yeah it's maybe 30 or 40 percent of your wake up time you're spending at work if you're um, working 40 50 hours a week and and this Setting has, has such a huge potential to um, not only increase your um, your health, but also your your uh, state of mind and your luck and all those things. So, and I think this potential is not fully reached, and and we can get a lot of more out of it. So. Then when I, I did my master's in, in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. I saw a research project on physical activity, work, and public health. So I thought this is a per perfect mm -hmm. thing to, to apply on. So, and then I, I got an assignment and I was um, writing my master thesis and in this study, we showed that, that people um, who are physically active at their work, um, independent of their unhealthy behaviors, uh, were feeling unhealthier than people um, who were not physically active at their work. Mm. So, and that's probably also the first time that I heard of the... the physical activity paradox and I think this term is, is um, firstly mentioned in in research in 2011 or 2012 mm -hmm. and this physical activity paradox really describes that I think everyone knows that if you're doing exercise or physical activity in in your leisure time in your free time that it's 
good for your health, for your weight management, for your cardiovascular outcomes, for your fitness levels. Um, but the paradoxical side is that when you do a lot of movements that are physical activity at your work, that it might not be that good for health. And of course, we know that it can uh, cause musculoskeletal disorders. But the paradox also describes that it could lead to a less good cardiovascular health. Um, your weight management does not really improve. Um, um, maybe it's not good for your sleep rhythm and all those outcomes. Um, so yeah, that's how I um, got my interest into the paradox. And yeah, so in, in one line summary, I think the paradox challenged the beliefs that all physical activity is always leads to a better health. That's really interesting. And I know that the first time I heard about the physical activity paradox was when we were doing research into your thesis. So thank you for shedding that light. That's very informative. So how does the paradox um, relate to the WHO recommendations for physical activity? Yeah, so really good question. I, I think um, physical activity in your leisure time, is it's totally different from, from physical activity in doing physical labor. But mm -hmm. if you look at the WHO uh, guidelines for physical activity and sanitary behavior, the, the guidelines, uh, they say you should move 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity per week. But if you translate this into some jobs, um, um, and I yeah, I have two, two examples of those. Mm -hmm. For example, there was a study with accelerometers uh, on farmers in America. And these farmers were um, moderately um, physical active for 146 minutes a day mm. per working day at their work. So they mm. were almost getting the recommend, recommended right. amount. Four minutes short. Yeah, for, but it's one day eh? and the recommendations is per week. So they have oh. like five times the recommended right, amount. Right, right, right. But what they also saw in this sample is that 80% of those people, of those farmers, was or overweighted or obese. So their weight management was not that good. And, and that's strange, right? If you look at the public health right. recommendation and they say moving more is better, but the domain does matter in this, mm. in this context. Um, and the, the other example that I have was, um, do you know what, what they say about uh, the, the, how many steps you need to walk? It's from I a Japanese I believe it's 10,000. Yeah, so the 10,000 is often called. And, and in, in um, Scandinavia, they did, in Denmark, they did a study on, on those who were cleaning. Mm -hmm. And uh, the cleaners walked on average, I believe, 21,000 steps a working day. 
Mm-hmm. So it's almost twice as rec- recommended. Right. But those workers had really low uh, fitness levels. So their uh, VO2 max was really low. And almost half of them had elevated blood pressure. So that's also, again, strange mm-hmm. if you look at the public health view right. that, yeah, how could it be that those workers are not so healthy uh, while they're physical active mm. most part of the days. And, and I know like we're sitting almost all day. Yeah. And um, I think one explanation could be like, when I was a student, I worked in a moving company. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, lifting all heavy stuff and, and right. walking a lot of stairs, maybe eight, nine, 10 hours a day. And of course, what, what it did to me was that I was really tired. And after I got back home, I couldn't do anything anymore. So I go- couldn't go to my football training. I couldn't. And another thing, if you work really hard, uh, yeah, for me, um, sometimes we needed to drive home one hour. So then we were driving on the, on the highway and... Of course, we worked the whole day, so we were hungry. Yeah. And what what did you do if you're on the highway and you're hungry? In in the Netherlands, you see a lot of times the M sign. So <laughs> we stopped over and drove to the M sign and get some unhealthy food. And I think that's the social aspect of this work as well. That it it really tires you. You get mm-hmm. exhausted, and it's easy to have unhealthy behaviors afterwards so right that's a really good point how did you um, manage to overcome that yeah like for me it was really simple but that's because i was a student so i worked one or two days in the weekends but then i had time to rest but you can imagine that those people um, who have a full-time job on, on moving stuff, they have those uh, strains on the muscles and their body like yeah. a whole week. So a five-day working week, maybe six on those kind of jobs. And they have insuff- insufficient time to rest afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that that's that it's really hard, and you really have to go, have a good uh, mindset and spirit to right. to still have a good and healthy lifestyle afterwards, mm-hmm. because um, you really need a lot of calories to do this work and and exercise. It's you really need to be motivated to to yeah. exercise afterwards if that's, that's even right. possible. I don't think so. I mean, if I worked 21, if I worked in a job that required me to do 21,000 steps, I don't think I'd have any energy left after that, right? Yeah. And I think that might be part of the problem. Yeah. And and now we're only talking about those jobs who are um, really easy to understand they're, that they're really physically active. But mm-hmm. you also have a lot of jobs where you just need to stand all day. And that's right. also really tiring and also really exhausting so there are more jobs than you think of that are still physical active and that Mm -hmm. 
um, could be, I think, could be improved to lead to a better health. Um, so can you share some of your observations while researching occupational physical activity? Yeah, so after my internship, my supervisor from the, from the uh, department where I'm working now, he contacted me and he said, yeah, we worked uh, together on this internship, what you did, and, and you have done a good job. So um, we got a new assignment, and that assignment was from the World Health Organization, mm -hmm. the WHO, mm -hmm. and they asked us, they also saw all this new evidence on occupational physical activity and that it could be uh, detrimental for health. And then they said um, they were updating the new physical activity and sedentary um, guidelines and recommendations for mm. yeah, worldwide and for the adults. Right. And they saw all this new evidence on occupational physical activity, and they always try to update new evidence into the new guidelines. Mm -hmm. So they said, could you make an umbrella review? And uh, for those who don't know what the umbrella review is, it's a, like a systematic review of systematic reviews. Mm -hmm. So we investigated all the um, systematic reviews on the association between occupational physical activity and um, health outcomes. So it could be almost any health outcomes that we could find. I think we found uh, 21 health outcomes in those systematic reviews. Mm -hmm. So, and we, yeah, we summarized them all. And yeah, in, in conclusion, we, we, found that while some of the um, outcomes were beneficially associated with higher occupational physical activity, right. others were detrimental for health. Um, but maybe even more important, that the, um, the evidence was still really low to very low quality. So still a lot of improvements to make on this research topic. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that's what we're trying to do now. So. so I know you may not be at the point where you can share all your findings, um, but do you have any insights into what factors are beneficial and which ones are detrimental? Um, yeah, not, not really, because the, the, it's really heterogeneous. What's the word? Um, the, all the, the studies that use occupational physical activity. So, for example, the one study, yeah, used three or four categories of mm -hmm. occupational physical activity. And then you only have like uh, crude categories of standing, mm -hmm. um, sitting, walking around and doing physical labor. And other studies are more on the um, metabolic equivalent side, so they have mm -hmm. a MET score, while other studies have um, more biomechanical um, point of view. Mm. So that's also one thing that, that still needs to be improved to have a more clear overview of what is detrimental or what is beneficial right. to um, really give an answer on that. Right. I get that. 
Um, can you discuss the social implications of factors? And we touched a little bit on this before in the beginning, but yeah. social implications that are related to physical activity that can influence either health or productivity or both. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, I think it's it's not really hard to to imagine that if you're uh, working eight now uh, nine hours a day of demanding. Um, that it's really hard to, when you finish your work and you're returning home to still um, do exercise afterwards and do, mm -hmm. to be physical, physically active after your work. And also, yeah, if you work long days and then you need to return home in your van or something else. And then um, sometimes you don't have time to cook a healthy dinner. So, and, and it's, it's can be a circle then, because if you don't do enough exercise, then maybe you, you will, um, be less fit mm. and then your heart will be, your work will be harder as well. So it can be a circle then. Right. Um, and another thing is that, that those people working in those jobs are often not the people um, who have the highest socioeconomic status. Right. So it's yeah. it's not just the work, but it's their whole life situation mm -hmm. that could be more difficult, more uh, other coping strategies, mm -hmm. uh, maybe financial problems, um, maybe more stress, more job insecurity. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't think it's only the physical part of the job, but it's the mm -hmm. whole situation of the job that could be improved. Thank you for giving us that big picture view. Uh, let's come to the conference. So at Primus WDP, in my opinion, you're giving a workshop on the Goldilocks principle. And I really like the way that you worded that, right? So can you share a little bit about how this is applied to a real world setting? And for listeners who don't know, can you explain the Goldilocks principle? Yeah, so um, I think one of the options, but not the only option to, to maybe change the, the worker situation into a better is the Goldilocks um, principle mm -hmm. and where most preventive uh, things that have been done in the in the future of, or in the past have focused on less the less is better so take away all of the fiscal demanding um, tasks and maybe leading to us to be more sedentary yeah. the um, Goldilocks principle it's it's uh, actually based on the on a fairy tale of the uh, Goldilocks and there were like the three bears. Three bears. Yeah, and and when you have a cup of of soup and like one soup is too cold and the other soup is too hot, but there is always one who is just just right. Yeah. And also with the chairs, one is too too short, one is too tall, but one is just right. And that could also be in a work situation that it's not always the best to take away all the 
um, physical demanding tasks of a job. So it's good to sit, but not to sit too much or to sit too less. So in this principle, we're trying to find that right balance of, of physical, but also psychosocial aspects of your work. Hmm. Yeah, so that was it in short. <laughs> How is it applied to a real world setting? Yeah, that's, um, there are some, some interventions done. I, I didn't do them myself, but I know there are uh, some in the Scandinavian countries. And for example, for the childcare workers, mm-hmm. um, who are quite physical demanding sometimes, they need to stand up, um, walk around a lot, maybe to uh, um, lift children. And they didn't take away all those physical um, demands, but they also um, came up with some new um, work challenges and they they came up with, with games that uh, teachers play with the kids. So mm-hmm. it were, were games where the, um, it's not teachers, how do, how do I say it correctly, that the uh, people who watched children, it's... Um, I want to say babysitters. No, it's child. Yeah, childcare workers. Yeah, childcare workers. Yeah, that's that's the best name I think. So they they played the games with the kids, and there were for some bits of their work, like getting some exercise. Hmm. So um, yeah, and that improved their cardiovascular health. Hmm. So that's one one situation, um, but it could also be that that then in the next task, what I did standing, that it's changing to sedentary. So that's very interesting because you have to go in, see what their daily life looks like, and then make changes. Yeah, based yeah. on that, very yeah. interesting. Um, so let's connect this to the larger Europe region. Uh, what are some interventions that you have found to be effective or that worked apart from these examples? Are there any that you could share? Um, yeah, interventions in, in, in occupational health, there, I think there's also mixed findings on those. I know mm-hmm. my supervisor did a, a systematic review on... Um, on uh, health interventions um, in the Netherlands. So he collected all the the occupational interventions um, and he checked the effectiveness of those. And I think his conclusion was that they were not that effective. So it was on on worksite health promotion um, Mm -hmm. programs. Um, And that's... Yeah, of course, because what we already mentioned, it's it's um, difficult to change a whole situation just by adding or um, adding something or taking something away. Because maybe you need we need a more holistic approach. Um, but there are other. Studies and interventions that do work, for example, 
some on on exercise programs at the work site that that I know of. So, for example, uh, when you go with your colleagues and you do a twenty minute exercise during your work. Um, so that are things that that could help and that are proven to be effective. Um, but it's still, I think, still a lot of work to do to also reach uh, those low-hanging fruits to um, ch change their life into a more positive health. Right. And, uh, what is one thing, and we're going off script a little bit here, and you can take your time to think about it, but what is one thing that you could... Um, that you wish you could change, like if you could just snap your fingers and something would change in the field of occupational health, what would that one thing be? Ooh, it's a difficult question. But I think but uh, it's, it's happening now more than ever, but to also bring in the workers um, if you're thinking about new intervention and new plans to also collaborate with them because often they really know what's good for them and and they're I think they can be critical as well so so I think we need to listen maybe listen better to them as well mm. and to think of new, Infra uh, interventions with them. Right. That's an excellent point. And it's also something I wish that students who are in the field and who are currently doing research in occupational health are listening to you when you say this. Um, but do you have any advice, specific advice for newcomers who are just getting into the field? Yeah. So, so I think we, we should not um, think too much in, in a silo. So it's sometimes we, of course, for some things it's good to look into a silo, but for other things it's, it's also good to have like enough moments to zoom out and mm -hmm. to have that umbrella overview. Right. And to see things not only as occupational health, but also as public health and maybe also on, on, um, lifestyle, also on uh, the social side, and to maybe collaborate more with other experts, other mm -hmm. researchers, practitioners, and as I mentioned before, also the workers. Um, so, and I think the Conference is an excellent example of okay. how we can can manage to do that and how we can achieve to um, try to collaborate more with other fields outside mm -hmm. our own. I think that's an excellent point. Um, and everybody that I've talked to so far on this podcast, they all say the same thing, right? Come more to these conferences, talk to each other more often because... Um, that cross-pollination is really important. Yeah. Uh, do you, we're coming to an end to the, of the podcast, unfortunately, but do you have any, anything else that you would like attendees to know about your work?
workshop? No, it, yeah, I think the I, I first I would like explain a bit more on, on the principle, but af, after that, we're going to like collaborate and work together on how to to implement the principle into real life settings. So it's not that I'm only um, be the, be, the the message bringer, but I also le- like to get the input from you and to learn from you and from other situations around the world and how it's been done in, in your countries. And yeah. I think we can then learn from each other and have some good examples from all those countries and then it's getting a bit better for all maybe i agree and i like that it's very interactive and i look forward to being there at the workshop yeah thanks thank you so much for your time and i look forward to seeing you in bangalore thank you bye